Welcome to the Middle Church Podcast, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, intergenerational movement of spirit and justice, powered by revolutionary love with room for everyone. No matter where you are, how you look, or who you love, we pray this podcast will help you on your journey. Here's this week's sermon. So Jesus is wandering down the street, as Jesus often did 2,000 years ago, and on the way he turns to his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples repeat all kinds of rumors, possibilities whispered by people who've created their own ideas of who Jesus is, who Jesus needs to be for their world to make sense. He's Elijah, John the Baptist, a prophet, a holy man, a walking resurrection. The world is claiming to know who Jesus is, and their ideas are wrong. Not bad, just wrong. Jesus then asks his disciples, those who are close to him, who they think that he is. You are the Messiah, says Peter. The Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. The translations vary, but the meaning remains the same. Jesus is known. Jesus is seen. Jesus is named. And then he tells them to keep quiet. This is his truth, and it's his to reveal at a moment he chooses. And here is the core of what this passage is all about truth and revealing and the consequences of that. At the beginning of this passage, people make assumptions as to who and what Jesus is, just as people make assumptions as to who and what we are, who and what we all are, straight or gay, cis or trans, bi or pan or ace. People look at us, they hear about us, and they assume. And their assumptions might not be insulting. It's not inherently bad to be any of those things. But it might be bad for you. Being anything other than fully the person God created you tends to be bad for you. Internally, at least. And in the case of Jesus and the assumptions made about him, that he's John the Baptist or Elijah, those are flattering assumptions, if ever I've heard them, but they're just that. <laughs> they're assumptions, and they're wrong. And the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, that is dangerous. Just as even today, the truth of who we are can be dangerous. The transcendent truth of who God has made us can be dangerous in this world. And so it makes sense that immediately after the disciples speak and know his truth for the first time, Jesus makes his first clear prediction of the passion. The unfair and unjust consequence of his truth in God and of others' fear of it or of what it may be. The possibility alone is world-shaking enough to be feared, after all. He tells his disciples simply that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, 
and after three days rise again. He will be rejected and he will suffer and he will be killed, but he will rise again. Here, Jesus explicitly predicts the instruments of social and religious power denying and destroying something of God that they simply cannot comprehend. And he predicts God prevailing, as always. But as I'm trying to make clear, this isn't just about Jesus. This is about us, too, as followers. This is about our lives in God, ourselves in God, our truths in God. This is made clear in that moments after predicting his own death at the hands of those who cannot accept his truth, Jesus says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? It's not exactly a cuddly platitude. (laughs) Jesus is seemingly asking us to die, to lose our lives. But what does it mean to lose your life? I think that's the important question here, the thing upon which our understanding of the entire passage relies. What is a life and what does it mean to lose it? Though it's important to recognize that for Jesus' followers in this most dangerous moment, the literal meaning of losing a life, of dying, would have been foremost in their minds. Life isn't simply the state of being alive, and dying isn't the only way to lose your life. And I know that sounds wild, but you already know that, on some level at least, because who hasn't been told to get a life? (laughs) Or told someone else to. And the only way that saying get a life to a living, breathing person can make any sense is if life means more than breath and heartbeat and brainwaves. And we all know that, even if we've never thought about it until now. So what is life? It's this. It's all of this. And it's everything else, too. Life is all that we know and all that we think and all that we think that we know. And so in this passage, Jesus is not, in fact, asking us to die. What he's asking of us is much harder He's asking us to lose our lives, to lose our lives for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. We're being called to strip away all that's familiar and comfortable, all that makes existence easy, all that makes sense. We are being asked to dismantle ourselves and the world and rebuild in a truer image. In short, we're being asked to give up this vast, nebulous concept that is life in pursuit of this radical gospel. And in losing our lives for Jesus' sake, and for the sake of the gospel, we will save them. But what does that look like? The process can take many forms, but it must, at its heart, be a process of clearing away the stuff of life that separates us from God, and for the full truth of who we were created by God. And for many of us, During that process, we must make a choice. Not about what we are, because being queer is not a choice, but about what we do about it. On the one hand, we could try to pretend we are not who and what we are. We could take whatever moment of clarity we may have had and we could deny it. We could become our own Peter, 
hearing the cockerel crow and weeping as we realize that out of fear of worldly retribution, we have denied the wonder and clarity gifted to us by God. We could continue as if we'd never seen that terrifying beauty and endless possibility that for a moment danced before our eyes. We could try to keep safe, to keep control, to exist in the status quo and avoid the suffering and rejection so often offered by the world and by those in power. Try to avoid suffering and rejection at the hands of our own modern versions of those elders, chief priests and scribes who 2,000 years ago were so challenged by the wondrous, expansive truth of God's love for creation that they insisted upon the death of the person who most embodied it. We could save our lives as we know them, while simultaneously knowing that to do so means losing the truest life of all. The life that God in their infinite love and wisdom created and called each and every one of us to live. We could live a half-life, a life of surface and nothing more, too scared to disturb that hidden, unwanted truth to ever truly be alive, we could die in all but breathing. Or we could risk it all. We could choose to give up our lives, our lives, in pursuit of the incredible, dazzling truth of who we were made to be. We could step out into the unknown in a world that is so often utterly unable to accept the truth of who God formed us to be, knowing that what we stand to lose is nothing short of everything. And that everything is as nothing into comparison to what it is we shall gain. And upon doing that, upon finding our lives, we may die then too. Hate crimes are rising and all too many of us do, but before that possible end, we will know we have truly lived, if only for a short while. In short, in this world, at this time, queer people are given a choice. We can say, try to save our lives, only to lose them one way or another. Or we can willingly lose our lives in search of a truth that so often sees us rejected and reviled by society. In doing such a thing, in giving up our life in that way, we will find it. Jesus asks us, what will it profit us to gain the whole world and forfeit our life? And though he was not explicitly speaking of queer people in the 21st century when he spoke those words, it does not meaning that the me- mean that the meaning does not hold. Yes. To go further, Jesus says, those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. And so we are called to give up our lives for the sake of Jesus, for God made flesh. And for the sake of the gospel, for the good news of God. And what is more of God than a full and unashamed embracing of the people God made us to be, lovingly crafted in God's own image? What is more of the gospel? What is better news than the truth of who we are? Living, breathing examples of the expansiveness of God's creation and the love which God has for each and every every one of us. Jesus died for us on the cross so that we may live, so that we may call on God's kingdom to collide with the here and now, to manifest on earth, 
to bring a purity and depth of love and justice that is beyond human comprehension, but in Christ is within human reach. And that kingdom starts with us. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, and so we must love ourselves. We are called to share the good news of God. (laughs) We are called to share the good news of God, and that includes the truth of who we are. Living embodiments of the wonder of God's creation, we are called to lose our lives, for in doing so we shall find them in God. People often think that it is in denying our queerness that we please God and that embracing it we indulge only ourselves, wrapped up in human affairs and not the divine. And to that, I echo Jesus' words to Peter in this passage. Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Because what is more human than the social and cultural norms that we use to shame and exclude? What reeks of human corruption more than the use of scripture and of God's name to excuse bigotry against God's beloved creation? And what can come closer to the divine? than to see the world as God created it and to praise God for the wonder of that creation without denying or defying any part of it. Jesus calls on us to give up that which is easy, comfortable, and safe in pursuit of a far more radical, far more dangerous truth. He does this repeatedly throughout the Gospels, not just here in this reading. We are called to give up the whole world And in return, we are gifted ourselves. We are gifted whole lives. Who are we to ignore or deny that call? And what is the world that it asks for us to do so? Jesus asks us to take up our crosses and follow him. And no cross is formed by God. Our metaphorical crosses like the literal one Jesus carried, are formed by human hands as a reaction to human fears and in response to our perceived breaking of human rules. In our pursuit of God's truth and justice. Our cross is not our God-given queerness, but the world's response to it. So let us not be afraid, but do as our Savior asks us. For in Matthew 10, he says, nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered. And nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. So be it today, or tomorrow, or some far-off day when you, like Christ, are ready, we must take up this great command and follow 
faithfully this word from our God who knows us more intimately than we know ourselves. We must proclaim our truths from the housetops. We must tell of God's love for us in the light. We must shoulder those crosses the world has carved for us. Crosses that those who hate us wish to nail us upon. And we must walk beside Christ in the light of our own truths. For as queer people, we have nothing to fear from the divine. Nothing to fear from God. By whom we are, all of us, fearfully and wonderfully made. All we have to fear are human things. Human hatred. Human intolerance. And when we know that we are forever held in the arms of a God of love and justice who created and formed us in an abundance of love, a fear of human things, a fear of mortal things, a fear of death, a fear of the loss of our lives, it's no real fear at all. Amen. We advertised this sermon uh, as a duet, and then I read Jay's words and wanted to give him the space because he deserved the space. <laughs> right decision, the right decision. But 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 a one-minute response uh, on the way into inviting you to join the movement. You know. I'm a woman of a certain age that my husband says I should stop saying. Yeah, but I'm, but I'm 64, right? I'm 64. The Beatles wrote a song about me and Dean, you know. And when, when, I'm, when I'm, I'm, I'm saying that to say something about transformation, Jay, right? That there is a blessing that has happened in the last 20 years that I've been a part of this community, which is the the inability to continue to take for granted. The inability to continue to take for granted that we're not all in a process of transformation. Like, my queer friends have queered me. And I am clear that the journey that you were on, are on, I'm on. I'm on that journey. And I don't mean to say I'm on that journey about getting the pronouns right. That too. But I mean owning the non-binariness of my own self. Owning, owning the non-binariness of the world that wants to push good, bad, left, right, Jew, Palestine, black, white, male, female on us and cause us not to have nuance thinking or revelations about ourselves that, that cause us to be stuck, Jay, in places of death, that we pretend to be places of life, that that's the life to give up, like that's the life to lose. The life to lose is the impingement that happens because we can't get past what the world wants to categorize. For me recently, I've been talking to a friend 
about letting go of something that impinges me. That in a world of binaries, Jay, I'm like, be good, right? And be good could be, be full of S-H-I-T. Be good could be false understandings of what wounds me and hurts me. Be good could be buying into feminine crap about instead of owning my badass male self. When my mom died six years ago, we got to some truth telling that unlocked something in me that continues to come out. My dad died six months ago, three, and it's coming out. And what's coming out is truth. Truth that will set you free. Truth that will cause you not to be dead inside. Truth that will exact from myself any of the dead giving life sucking. That's the journey we're all on. What, what we think is the right way to be is often in prison. The gift from you, Jay, today is a framing of what it means to lay down our life, which is to say to lay down the junk, which is to say to lay down the deadness, which is to say to lay down the false self, which is to say to be alive to the true self. I'm so thankful for the framing. And that is not, you know, somebody like the trans people. Yes, yes, the trans people, but you coming fully into you is the journey we're on if we're on a journey with God. God wants our true self in this movement for love and justice. Amen? <laughs> so, that's what I say to what you said. What do you think? I think you're fairly right there, yeah. yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about this some more when it's not, you know, 105 or Exactly, whatever. yeah. But I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you, Thank you. so much. Okay. Right? Thanks for listening, friends. To learn more about Middle Church, visit middlechurch.org. You can help grow this movement of love and justice by rating us on Apple or Spotify and by sharing this episode with a friend or two. Send us an email at info at middlechurch.org if you have any questions or comments. We hope you'll come back next week. Bye for now. <laughs>